If you please turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians, we're in chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 31. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's found on page 959, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 31. When we started looking at this chapter last week, we looked at spirituality, we looked at spiritual gifts, and we looked at the first 11 verses of this chapter. And the first thing we saw, verse 3. Verse 3 is a, is a very important uh, verse in this chapter because it gives us a litmus test. A litmus test to, to show if we, how we can tell if a spirituality or a spiritual gift is from the Holy Spirit, if it comes from God or not. And the test is very simple. What does this gift of spirituality do with Jesus? Does it magnify Jesus? Does it proclaim Jesus as Lord? Does it draw people closer to Jesus? And if it does, then it's from the Holy Spirit. But if it rejects Jesus, if it figuratively proclaims Jesus as accursed, if it pushes people away from Jesus and, and draws attention on ourselves rather than Jesus, then it's not from the Holy Spirit. And we saw that there are a variety of gifts, gifts that all look different, but they all come from the same Spirit, the Holy Spirit. We saw great diversity, and this great diversity is founded on unity. It's founded on the unity of the Holy Spirit. And the thesis of this entire chapter is found in verse 7, which says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And then in verses 12 through 26 develops this idea, what is the common good? By using this well-known analogy of a human body and how a human body has different members. And this relates to the church and the members in the church. And we're going to look at this passage. We're going to go through verse by verse, as we typically do, and see what this analogy tells us about spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts, which every single Christian has. And what is the right way and what is the wrong way to use these gifts and to think of these gifts. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 31. You're now the word of the living God. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, Slaves were free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. <clears throat> the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you. Nor again the head, head to the feet, I have no need for you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And on our presentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may, be the same, may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administering, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? 
Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we know that we need your Holy Spirit. This is just words on a page. We cannot hear. We cannot get anything, any spiritual benefit out without your Holy Spirit. I cannot say anything that is worth hearing without your Spirit anointing my words. And I pray, Father, that your Spirit will anoint my words. And each one of us cannot hear from you without your Spirit opening our hearts, opening our minds, opening our ears to hear from you. And I pray, Father, that you will use this time, use this word, use this sermon to change each one of us, to draw us closer to you. Father, I pray that we will see Christ during this time. Lord, we will forget all the concerns, the cares, the distractions of this world. And we will spend time with our Master, with our Creator. And we will be changed. And you will be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we have seen throughout this study... The Corinthians continue to bring this worldly way of thinking into the church. This worldly thinking causes divisions in the church and and really completely undermines the gospel message. And spiritual gifts, which are given to each Christian, each member of the church, for the purpose of building up the body, building up the church, building up each other, in the Corinthian church have become a cause of division, a source of pride, a way that they puff themselves up. See, each of them are seeking the more visible church, more visible gifts, the more desirable gifts, the ones that will bring glory to themselves. And Paul is saying, he says, you guys are missing the point. You guys are missing it. The point is not about you. It's not about your individual gifts. It's not about what you have. It's not about how these can benefit you as individuals. The point is the body. The point is the body of Christ. It's the church, the bride of Christ. It's those who are called out of the world, those who are called to be different to think differently, to be united to Christ by faith. And Paul sets up this analogy of the body, the body of Christ, the church, with the human body. And we see he he makes this correspondence right right off the bat in verse 12. He says, For just as the body, that is the human body, is one and has many members, it has hands and arms and eyes and ears and feet, he says, And all the members of the body, though many are one body, he says, So it is with Christ. He says the same is true with Christ. The same is true for those who are united to Christ, for those who are new creations in Christ, who by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, have become a new creation, are born again. See, we are now individual members of something much bigger than ourselves. We are part of the body of Christ. We are part of the church, the universal church. And we in modern 21st century church, we're in just as much need to hear these words as the Corinthians were. We as as the modern American church, just like the Corinthians, we have this, have been far too personal, far too individualized understanding of Christianity. See, it's all about me and Jesus. That's our idea of Christianity. Everything is about my personal relationship with Jesus. And then it stops there. And yes, each of us, if we're Christians, we have a personal relationship with Jesus. Each born again believer has Jesus, has the Holy Spirit. But we have the same Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit breaks down these divisions, unites us. These are divisions that exist in the fallen world. And we see this in verse 13. He says, For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And we were all made to drink of one spirit. 
See, these were, were absolute, involuntable segregations. Jews and Gentiles, they did not mix. They did not have anything to do with each other. They were separate. Slaves and free did not have anything to do with each other. They did not interact. They were a completely different class. It was like the caste system in India, where there was absolutely no social interaction between the castes. This is what we see here. This is what what the gospel brings together. See, Christ shatters all these barriers. It's the same Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit is given to Jew, is given to Gentile, is given to slave, is given to free, is given to rich, is given to poor, is given to black, is given to white. Every other human separation is joined together through the Holy Spirit in Christ. And for each born-again believer, the Holy Spirit creates in us a new identity and forms the new bonds, new allegiances. We have allegiances to one another. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. And these bonds as believers, these are even stronger than any natural bonds. Stronger than the bonds you have to your community. They have to your, to your school or to your country or even to your family. I remember I had a pastor in Blacksburg. He used to say, he said, take a look around the church. He'd say, he said, take a look around. He said, you better like these people. You're going to be stuck with them for all eternity. And that's the case. We have an eternal bond through the Holy Spirit as believers. And the relationship of each individual Christian with the universal church is analogous to this individual body to the whole parts, as we see here in, in this chapter. There's no such thing as a, a solitary Christian. There's no such thing as a lone wolf Christian. Verse 14 tells us, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. So if you're a Christian and you're not part of a, of a local body, if you're not part of a, a local fellowship, you're like this, this, this disembodied hand just flopping around. Isn't that kind of gross seeing a, a disembodied hand? You know, like, like Thing in the, in, in the Adams family. <clears throat> I, remember, I remember in the, in the late 90s when Lynn was looking at vet schools, we were touring vet schools around the country. In one school, I don't even remember where it was. It might have been North Carolina. It might have been Georgia. I don't remember where it was. It wasn't where we eventually went in Blacksburg. But there was a, we went into the anatomy lab. And the, I don't know if Jessica and Sarah remember this. There was a box of heads, dog heads and cat heads, just heads in there. In there. And, and Sarah thought it was cool. Jessica thought it was pretty gross. But it's not natural for you to see body parts that are not attached to a body. So if you're a Christian, if you're a born-again believer then you are part of the body of Christ. You are part of the church, and you need the body. You don't want to go flapping around like that, like thing from the Adams family. You need to be part of the church. Now, some of you are saying, yes, I'm a, I'm a Christian, but I'm not really needed. There's nothing that I have. I don't bring anything to the table. I can't preach. I can't, I can't sing. I can't pray out loud. I can't cook like Melissa to be the potluck czar. You say, there's nothing that I bring to the table. I'm not needed. Look at verses 15 and 16. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand... I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. And if an ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. See, it's no different than saying, because I'm not a preacher, because I don't sing, I'm not part of the church. Because I'm not on the worship team, I'm not part of the church. Because I'm not potluck czar, I'm not part of the church. I don't belong to the church. Of course not. Could you imagine how horrible it would be if a church were, were completely the same, if we all had the same gifting? See, my friends, diversity is essential for a healthy church. A church where everyone had the same gift and everyone did the same thing, this is a dying church. <clears throat> just as a body, if a body was just a hand or just a head, it would be a dying body. Verse 17 says, If the whole body were an eye, where would, the sense, where would be the sense of hearing? 
If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Right? If we were all preaching, can you imagine if we were all, first of all, if we were all preaching, we wouldn't hear each other. We'd all be preaching at the same time. But who would be in the nursery taking care of the kids? Who would be running the live stream and the soundboard? Again, we can't be, a, a uniform body cannot work. Just as a, a uniform church cannot work. And the problem that the Corinthians had, and the problem that we all have really, is that we want the most visible gifts. We want the most prominent gifts. They all wanted to be seen as indispensable, as most important. But God is so much wiser than we are. He knows what he's doing. He doesn't give us uniform gifts. He doesn't give us the same gifts. What he gives us is complementary gifts. He gives us a diversity in our gifting. And but his diversity is founded on unity. See, diversity not founded on unity is dissensions and fighting. But it's a diversity founded on unity that complements. And it all comes from the same spirit, the same Holy Spirit. And it has the same purpose. The purpose is the common good. Not our own good, but the common good of the body. Verse 18 tells us, but as, but as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. <clears throat> so if you don't like your gift, if you don't like your place in the body, talk to God. He's the one who gives it. He's the one who hands out the assignments. And every single Christian, you can't say that I don't have a gift. Every, if you are a Christian, you have a spiritual gift. You probably have multiple spiritual gifts. And every single Christian has unique and a unique and essential role in the body of Christ. It, some of them, it, it, I like using the analogy of a puzzle. You think of a puzzle, say a thousand piece puzzle. I know my family always does puzzles on, on Christmas. If you're missing one piece, I remember they were doing a puzzle. They were missing one piece. They were tearing up the, the couch and looking for that piece because the puzzle is not complete without the piece. That's what the church is. Each one of us is a piece. And if we are not in the church, the puzzle, the, 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 the church is incomplete. And that's what we're seeing. Some of us have more visible uh, gifts, but every gift is essential, even the least visible. And if one member is not utilizing their gifts, the entire body suffers. So you can survive without an eye. You can survive without an ear or without a hand. But your body would be impaired. It would be less functional if you had all your members. And there's two major problems that were faced by the, by the Corinthians and, and by us. And the first is what we've been talking about. It's the members thinking that their gifts are not useful. So they're not being involved. They're not thinking they're not needed by the church. These were the ears that thought because they were not eyes, they were not part of the body. That they, didn't, that they weren't needed. But the other problem is the exact opposite. There were people who thought only their particular gift was needed, and they dismissed anyone who had a different gift. And they foolishly thought that they had no need for anyone who was different. And we see this in, in verse 21. See, they, they, they thought they were self-sufficient. In verse 21 says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need for you. See, sinful worldly thinking creeps into the church. And we look down on anyone who is different than us. Because someone is gifted differently than me, I see that I have no use for that gifting. And this causes division, it causes strife in the church. And the result is the same as we saw above. The body is weakened. The diversity in the members founded on the, the Holy Spirit, on the unity of the Holy Spirit, it brings vitality to the church. Sameness brings death. And the mistake made by the Corinthians, the same mistake made by us, which if it's left uncorrected, is a fatal mistake for the church. It's the death of the church. And the mistake in their thinking is that the most visible gifts, these were the only roles, most visible roles, these were the only roles that were important, the only ones that were needed. 
In verse 22, it says, On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. <clears throat> you may remember a few years ago when, when my wife Lynn twisted her, her ankle, and she had a, a hairline f- uh, fracture on this tiny little bone. Steve even missed it when he first looked at it on the, on the x-ray. It's a bone that neither of us n- even knew that this bone existed. We certainly didn't give it any thought of this, tony, this tiny bone. But the breaking of this bone had Lynn on, in a wheelchair and on crutches for months. And it was probably a year before she was back to normal. So this tiny little bone that seemed weak and insignificant when injured proved just how indispensable it really was. Well, the same is true in the church and people in the church. In every church, there are people who don't stand out, people who are quiet, people who you would never notice. But many of these people are prayer warriors. They silently and they they fervently pray. And those prayers are answered. Those prayers are affectional. And those prayers make all the visible ministries look good. Those are the engines behind it. And just just this week, as I was writing the sermon, I had the hardest time writing the sermon. I had a lot going on. There was, it was a busy week. I had a lot of distractions. So I had a writer's block. But I sent out prayers. There are several people in this room. I sent out prayers. I said, pray for me. I, I'm having difficulty. And immediately, immediately as they started praying, I could feel, I could feel the inspiration of being able to, to write a sermon. And this is not just this week. This is every week. In our prayer meetings, there are people who are praying for me as I'm writing my sermon. They ask, how's it going? And they're praying for me. <clears throat> Every week, we need this. Another example of someone who might appear outwardly weak. Remember, uh, remember Jan Morris, the prayer warrior? She's now with the Lord. And she and John were faithfully at every single prayer meeting we had in this church. And they faithfully prayed at home. <clears throat> and she passed away in early 2020. And I, I truly believe all the mess that we saw in 2020 with COVID and, and the, the political strife that we saw in this country was <clears throat> because Jan's prayer is what was holding this country together. And when she was taken out of it, everything fell apart. <clears throat> but not only the people that seem obscure and weak are indispensable. Take a look at verses 23 and 24. And on those parts of the body we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And on our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. Think about our internal organs, our, our heart and our lungs and our liver and our pancreas and our digestive tract, as Jack told us a little bit about today. <laughs> think of these organs. These organs are essential to our living, Right? but it's better to keep them covered up. You know, we cover them with skin and we cover them with clothes. We don't really want to look at them. We like them nicely covered. Nobody wants to see your liver or pictures from you. We don't really take our pictures from our colonoscopy and put them on Facebook. That would be really weird. We don't want to do that. But there are those people, there are some of you here in the medical field, you've been involved in surgery. You've seen the inside. You've seen these organs. I remember when Lynn was in vet school, uh, she went on a, a trip for a rural area medicine where they did several surgeries. And I went with her, and, and uh, they had a big gymnasium set up and tables set up. And, and I, I wasn't doing any surgery. I was cleaning the equipment for them. But uh, I got to see the inside of dogs. And I can tell you, dogs look a lot better with fur on them and skin than seeing their internal organs. And it's the same, I'm sure those of you care, I'm sure it's the same with humans. Humans look better with, with skin than looking at their internals. <coughs> Well, the same way, there are ministries in the church that are essential for the health of the church. But like the heart and the liver and the pancreas and the digestive tract, it's best that these can't be kept covered. 
Some of the pastoral issues dealt with by the elders, it's best that they remain confidential. It would not be appropriate to discuss them in detail in public. It would not be appropriate for, for many of us to stand up and, and to, to confess our, our most intimate details, our private sins, or even some that exist only in our minds. This is not something that anyone likes to see. But just as it's, etern- it's, it's essential for surgeons to understand how the, the inner working of the body and understand how they can go in and remove a malignancy that's uh, attached to a liver, it's essential that people who are struggling with certain private sins have trusted brothers and sisters who are, they are accountable to, who they can get counsel, who they can get support from. It's essential, it's essential ministry of the church, but it's not one that you want to broadcast. It's one that, that's best to be kept hidden. And I don't mean hidden in, in a way that's sinful, but rather a way that's discreet. Because many cases, disclosing these details would not be edifying to the church or the individual. We've got a friend that, that some of you probably know in here, uh, Rianne Dobson. She has a ministry called Rahab's Haven. And this ministers to women who are in, in, in sex workers and sex trades and human trafficking. And many of the things that she sees are, and the details are things that we do not want to see. But it's an important ministry. But it's best to keep the, the specifics and the, the details covered. Another area that's hidden from public is, is really the area of, of personal finances. There are people in the church with the gift of generosity. And they're, they're unseen to the congregation, but their faithfulness funds the things that are seen, the ministry, the visible ministry. And God often equips people in the church with specific gifts. He gives some people the gifts of, of direct ministry. Those are the missionaries and the, and the pastors and the, and the counselors and the church planters. And he equips other people with the, with the gifts of financial resources and the ability to earn a lot of money, which finances these ministries. And God does this so that we need each other. He doesn't want anyone to be self-sufficient. I, I would love to have everything. I didn't need anyone. And I could just be always giving. But God doesn't do it. It's not healthy for the church. No one has all the gifts. No one has all the resources that is needed. And we are dependent on one another. This is the way God has designed it. And God distributes and, and, and enables these gifts and ministries for the common good. Continuing in verses 24 and 25, it says, But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. See, the diversity of gifts comes from God and is unified in the Holy Spirit. And God orchestrates both the gifts, the ministries, and the way it's manifested, this gift. And he does it for the mutual care of the body. It's for the church. It's for ultimately for his glory. And not only are we unified in the Holy Spirit, but we are unified in the same body, the body of Christ. And if one member hurts, we all hurt. Look at verse 26. It says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And here I think this analogy really shows us where the church falls short, both the Corinthians and us. Or if you ever had a, a toothache, or if you ever stubbed your little toe, you understand the power, pain in just a little part, right? That, that tooth or in that little, that little tiny toe, it'll drive you crazy. It'll drive you crazy. You'll understand, you'll know that little bone that was broken. It will get your attention. If one suffers, it all suffers. But sadly, this very common natural condition that we see in the body, it doesn't translate into life in the church. And this is to our shame. Really, this highlights our, our lack of sanctification. When we see a brother or sister in the church hurting, 
do we really hurt along with them? Do we really empathize with them? Do we feel the pain as if we were going through it? Sadly, we don't want to. Oftentimes, we want to hold it out. We don't want to hurt. We may, we may, we, we may show a little bit of compassion too, but we're really thankful that we are not experiencing that pain ourselves. And even worse, even worse, we may be secretly joyful at the pain of another, or we may be, uh, we may be resentful when someone receives an honor. A brother and sister receives an honor. We fail to rejoice because we see that somehow threatening us, taking honor away from us. Paul tells us in Romans 12, 15, uh, that the Christian is to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Do we do that? Do we rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep? And I preached on this verse a few, uh, uh, a few weeks ago in our evening sermon, and, and I went into a lot of details. But I think this is an area where we all fall short the Corinthians, and the modern church. And if we had a better understanding of Christian unity, we would find ourselves weeping more and rejoicing more, weeping with others more and rejoicing with them more often. And I'm preaching every bit to myself as I am to you all in this part. Verse 27 gives us further reminder of this analogy of the body applies to the church. He says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Just in case there was any doubt of what he's talking about, he says it explicitly. You are the body of Christ and individual members of it. In verse 28, Paul gives here a listing of the different roles and the different gifts distributed by the Holy Spirit. And like in verses 8 through 10 that we looked at last week, this is, these are not exhaustive. These are just examples. But let's take a look at verse 28. He says, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administering, and various kinds of tongues. Well, let's, let's briefly look at these individually, these, these gifts given to the church. First on this list is apostles. The church, some churches will say they have apostles. Some churches will call their ministers apostles, their leaders apostles. And the word itself really just basically means messenger or, or envy or, or, or envoy or, or delegate. It's basically someone who is sent. Well, in this sense, all Christians are apostles. We are all messengers of Christ sent with the gospel. But that's not the context that this verse is talking about. In this context, apostle is a specific office in the church. It's the one who had seen the risen Christ and who was actually sent by the risen Christ to proclaim the gospel. The apostles then were also given supernatural gifts to establish the church, to write scripture. And this included the 12 apostles with Jesus and the apostle Paul. And we do not have apostles now in the church anymore. No longer, this office no longer functions in the church. And likewise, we have prophets. In a general sense, a preacher could be thought as exercising the prophetic role. So what I'm doing right now, expounding scripture. But this is not, uh, never when you hear a, a, a preacher, you'll never hear a preacher reveal new scripture, new revelation. And that's not what's meant here. In this, in this context, the prophet are those that God has given to basically to supernaturally convey His will, and oftentimes this is, these are the ones who write Scripture, that wrote the Old Testament, and God used the prophet to give this revelation to His church. In a sense, the prophetic office again is no longer active in the church. And Paul tells us in Ephesians too that the apostles and the prophets they are the foundation of the church. And Christ is the cornerstone of that foundation. And the purpose of the apostles and the prophets is to convey God's special revelation to the church. They are the ones who give us scripture. They are foundational because 
from the, because through them the Holy Spirit is using these men to give us his word. This is where we get scripture from. It is through these prophets and these apostles. And when this was written, when this was written, it wasn't complete. But now it is. Now we have the entire scripture. Now we have the canon of scripture. This letter that we're reading is part of the canon of scripture. So this function of prophets and apostles has now ceased. The canon of scripture is now complete. These gifts are no longer used this way in the church today. The third gift lifted here is teacher. And this is not speaking about school teachers, but this is speaking about those who teach God's word. Pastors, preachers, parents, Sunday school teachers, scholars fall into this category. And this gift is very much active today. And these people do not communicate new revelation, but what they do is they communicate this revelation. They interpret this revelation. They apply it that's found in Scripture. And notice that these three top gifts are all the same. They're all word gifts. They all deal with having God's word, learning God's word, knowing God's word. And the role of these three gifts is to make sure that the church knows its Lord, to make sure they know his will, they know it through his word. And those entrusted with these gifts, their only requirement of them is that they be faithful. They faithfully communicate. They faithfully transmit God's word to his church. They're not to be creative. They're not to communicate their own ideas. They're not to communicate their own innovations. They are solely to communicate God's word clearly, accurately, and faithfully. And notice that the the next group of gifts that we see here, they're lumped together and they're not enumerated. Remember it says it goes one, two, three, but then the rest, this next group is lumped together. And they serve a completely different purpose from the first gift, the first group. See, not only are they different from the word gifts of the first three, but they also function differently and express differently today than they did during the time when Paul wrote this letter, the time before the the biblical canon was complete. And specifically, the gifts here are healing, are miracles, healing, tongues, and they played a different role prior to completion of the canon than they play today. See, prior to the completion of the canon, these gifts frequently coincided with the word gifts, the other three word gifts, particularly with the apostles and the prophets. And what they did is they functioned as evidentiary gifts. They they were basically the supernatural mark that this was God's word being proclaimed. So God used these miracles, supernatural healings, the ability to speak in unknown languages to basically to give the stamp of, of approval on the prophets, say, this is from the Holy Spirit. Because these were things that only the Holy Spirit could do. And the Holy Spirit is, uh, is basically announcing that this is mine, is marking that this is from the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter and John had this. Remember when Peter and John went to, pl- to pray and the lame man comes to him and he says, you know, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Remember the man went walking and leaping and praising God? That was the stamp of approval, saying that Peter and John were messengers of the living God. In Acts 2, when the disciples were speaking in tongues during Pentecost, this was a visible, tangible sign that the Holy Spirit was poured out on the disciples. And this supernatural authentication was necessary to confirm that the new revelation of the apostles and the prophets were actually coming from God, not their own opinions. See, we, you don't want people to say, this is from God, this is from God. You have to have some authority to say that this is marking it, that anyone can say anything. But we don't have that today. See, there's no 
apostles today. There's no prophets today. There's no supernatural evidentiary gifts today. And the reason why is because we have this. We have scripture. We have God's word. This is all we need. This is our confirmation. We no longer need to have a miracle. I don't have to preach and then do a miracle, raise someone from the dead so that you believe what I'm saying. All you need to do is compare it to Scripture. And that's why I tell you, when I start, the first thing I say whenever I preach a sermon is open your Bibles too. And I go through verse by verse because I want you to see that I'm not preaching my own ideas. I'm preaching what is in the text. And if I'm preaching my own ideas, you don't want to listen to it. You want to get as far away. But if I'm preaching what comes from here, this is the evidence. This is what confirms the message. So we don't need miracles today. We don't need tongues today. They don't operate that way. But that said, that doesn't mean that, they're, that these gifts are completely um, no longer used in any sense today. That no longer means that God does not uh, do, act in miraculous ways. The gift of healing, I believe, exists. I believe many of you in this congregation have the gift of healing. And it's not, it's, not act, it's not expressed in instantaneous healings that we see in Scripture, but it's expressed in people who have skills and knowledge and insights that come from God, directing them along with, with divine providence that allows for the healings that we see through modern medicine. And oftentimes, many of these are directed in a response, direct response to the prayers of God's people. And the gift of tongues, it also may look different today. I don't doubt that God gives certain people with, a, with an ability to, to, to learn new, a capacity to learn new, new languages, not instantaneously, but through normal means that other people don't have. I certainly don't have that. I can't learn a language very quickly, but some people can. He also gives people certain insights to know how to communicate the gospel in a way that another person will hear it. Even though the gifts no longer function the same way as they did in the New Testament, it doesn't mean that they do they don't function in some less spectacular fashion today. And all of these gifts are used not to authenticate the message today, but to serve the church, to build up the church, to display God's mercy to his people and to the world. And even in Paul's day, it was clear that these specific gifts were not distributed evenly when they were given, and they were not given to a single believer. And we see this in verses 29 and 30 with these rhetorical questions that he asks. He says, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess the gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? And the obvious answer is no. No. All are not apostles, all are not prophets, all are not teachers or miracle workers, or speak in tongues. And this verse is in completely in line with the diversity of gifts that we have seen coming from the same spirit. And I think that this reassures Christians. We can see it's okay. It's okay if I don't have these spectacular gifts. I don't have to be an apostle. I don't have to be a teacher. I don't have to speak in tongues. God can still use me. But it's this last verse. Look at verse 31. This verse seems to be out of place. This, this last verse I don't think fits the theme that we've been talking about. In fact, it appears to be the exact opposite. Paul seems to be saying the exact opposite of what he's been saying in the entire chapter. The last verse seems to encourage higher gifts, coveting higher gifts. See, seems to be instructing the Corinthians to desire certain gifts. So let's look at this first part of verse 31. It says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. Well, what are the higher gifts? Is Paul contradicting himself? Paul seems to be 
commanding the very thing that, the, that he's criticizing the Corinthians for doing. And this is exactly what they wanted to do. They wanted these most spectacular gifts. They earnestly desired. They wanted the most prominent gifts. And the whole point of this chapter is that all gifts are valuable. All parts, even that little tiny bone is important in the, in the body. All, all gifts are important, are valuable. All gifts are needed. All gifts come from the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit distributes these gifts as he sees fit for the good of the church, for the glory of God. And because of this, we should be content with whatever gifts the Holy Spirit has given us. We should use these gifts. We should develop these gifts to their fullest potential. This is the ideal. This is the message of this chapter. But if we were to desire certain gifts, if, if we were to desire gifts, what would those gifts be? Well, it shouldn't be the prominent gifts, the most spectacular gifts, the gifts that bring the most recognition to us. Rather, if we were to desire gifts, they should be the higher gifts, the gifts that Paul lists as first, second, and third on the list, the apostles, the prophets, the teachers. And what he's talking about is these are gifts that display the word, that make the word prominent. And the reason we should desire these gifts is because they reveal God. They reveal his character. They reveal his word through his word. And these are the gifts that build up the church the most. These are the gifts that build up the church precisely because they do not come from us. They do not focus on us, but they focus on God. And this is the exact opposite of what the Corinthians were doing. They were desiring the exciting gifts, the ones that brought glory to themselves, that brought glory to, to, to them versus pointing toward God. So what does this all mean to us? What is our application? Well, the bottom line is as Christians, we all have spiritual gifts. And there is great diversity in these gifts. But the diversity is founded on the Holy Spirit, on the unity of the Holy Spirit. And all these gifts are needed. We are to use these gifts for the common good, for the common good of the church, for the body. See, we're not to be the flapping hand, disembodied from the church. But we are to diligently and joyfully develop our gifts, use our gifts to the service of God and to his people. But everything that we've looked at at this so far at this chapter is just preliminary. It's just preliminary. It's really just an introduction. The whole chapter is really set up to... Uh, to, to set up for what comes next. This chapter lays the groundwork for what is truly needed from the Corinthians, what was really their entire problem of the Corinthian church. And Paul ends this with these words. He says, and I will show you a still more excellent way. And my friends, Lord willing, next week we will look at this more excellent way. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the church. We thank you for the gifts that you have given to each individual member. Father, I pray that you will help each of us to recognize that our gifts are needed to the church and not to, and not to deprive the church of those gifts. And also give us the humility to realize that the gift that you have given to each one of us individually is not the most important gift. The most important is you and knowing you and knowing your will. And the gifts that you have given to us are to be used to build each other up. Father, we pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that this will be true. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.